How many are enjoying the Disciple series? <clears throat> it's, really been, it's really been great teaching us, really, uh, well, if you want to just be honest, why we were born. Why we were created. It's, found, it's really, it's a foundational uh, series, and I'm sure that you'll be hearing it again, um, you know, or a version of it. Uh, Probably every year. I, I I don't know about you, but I can guess that you're you're like me, and that in the end, when I meet Jesus face to face, I want to be able to say that I did what you created me to do. Uh, I I I didn't want to waste all of everything on on myself, but I lived for others. I lived for others. Um that he finds me to have been a disciple for him and to have made others to be disciples. Um, just like he commanded us all to do. Amen? Amen? If you're a guest here at the bridge, it's your first time, I really hope you've enjoyed everything that we've prepared for you. We've really tried our best, but I believe that God's got something even better prepared for you today in his word. And by the way, with your second visit, uh, we just go ahead and claim you as family. It's a done deal. Um, so if you don't like it here, I don't know if I'd come back. Because like I said, we're claiming you. We're claiming you. Maybe we could go grab lunch after church or something like that. Pastors Devin and, and Dustin are so disciplined about their health, with exercise and with diet, constantly doing something to stay in shape. It's sickening. Daily, uh, Daniel's fast, uh, 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 working out regularly. Ryan's got him doing some kind of a 75 hard something or another. It, that just all sounds like hard to me. Um, by the way, they get that discipline from their dad. I'm just letting you know. Um, no. Um, I hate it, though. You know why? They don't go out to eat with pops anymore. And if they do, they just eat salad or some grilled chicken garbage. <laughs> so I'll take you to lunch if it's your first time. I'll take you to lunch. No, I actually admire discipline like that, uh, building good, healthy uh, habits in life. I like the self-help books um, over the fiction books. I know you don't like me anymore, Alex, but that's just me. I like that. Books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey and, and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I know some of you are thinking, who needs that stuff? Just kidding. Seriously, um, you can read all of the books um, that you want. You can develop all of the discipline and all of the good habits that you want, but there's something within us that wants what it wants. It's called the heart. And usually, usually that want drives us in the wrong way. Usually it's something to do with us. Usually it's something selfish, it's, it's, it's driving uh, back to us. And usually 
we give in to our natural desires rather than listening to the word of God or to the Holy Spirit, if that's something that you have within you. Um, we all like to say, hey, follow your heart. Follow your heart. That's the common advice that we give people who are trying to make some tough decision. And what they're really saying is choose whichever option you feel. Whichever option you feel is good. <clears throat> Do whatever you feel. But is, it, is that good advice? Should we be doing what we feel, whatever we feel? Uh, should we be actually following our hearts? Will our hearts lead us in the right direction? Within context, here's what God says in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is quite a compliment, isn't it? <laughs> Makes me just so excited to follow my heart. Imagine you had a new friend and someone you trusted described them as deceitful above all things. And not just wicked, but desperately wicked. Makes you just want to go out and jump into a relationship with that person. Then why in the world do we trust our hearts and encourage others to follow their hearts. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't believe that our hearts will always, always lead us astray. But I do think this deceit that the Bible talks about, it blinds us more than we actually realize. Perhaps the, the, the biggest evidence of a heart's deceit is our extreme exaggeration. Um, in other words, we take our feelings and our circumstances and we give them more weight than they prob we probably should. You know what I'm talking about. I feel like I should do this or I feel like I should do that. When we have a, a very emotional experience about something, we often automatically assume that God's just calling us, man. He's like, uh, there's something, he's calling us into something new or whatever. And in this kind of a mindset, this emotional mindset, we feel that uh, every verse that we read uh, is just sort of like handmade for us. Anybody else following me here? You know what I'm talking about? We assume at that time anyway, this emotional state, that everything that happens to us or every conversation that we have must be divine. It must be a sign. Now you with me? Listen, these are not always bad thoughts, but they can be, the Bible says, very deceitful. And this is why we can't just trust our hearts and simply follow what we feel. I'm sure the, the members of ISIS who killed women and children trusted their hearts and, and acted on their feelings. The crazy thing is I guarantee you that uh, they were sincere in what they were doing. People believe things with all of their heart. And there are times that, I, I'm just being honest with you, I admire that when they're all in, man. Sometimes it's 
you know, ignorance that they're in on, but they're all in on it. And I'm not talking about ISIS there. <clears throat> but this right here is why we've got to follow the truth. We've got to follow the truth instead of our hearts. We've got to follow the truth. God will speak and he will reveal things to you in conversations and circumstances and certainly through scripture. But we must quick, do a quick test uh, of our hearts and, and the types of feelings that we're having with, with truth and with scripture. I've had times where I had an extremely emotional response to a verse or to a book that I was reading and wanted to just kind of like make a rash decision based upon how I was feeling. Anybody else with me there? And I quickly found out that my, my, my emotions were not God's leadings. It's in moments like these um, where we see just how deceitful our hearts can be. Some of us can feel uh, thousands. <laughs> I've never known this as much as I know it now. But some of us can, can feel thousands of different emotions every single day. And if we follow them, listen to me, if we follow them, we're going to end up going round and round and round and round in a circle. Maybe the things about our hearts which make them the most deceitful is a thing that we call good intentions. <clears throat> I feel like God is calling me to quit my job and start a non-for-profit. I mean, that's a good intention. That may, be, that, that, that may be completely true or that may stem from some unhappiness that you have on your current job. You're, you're, you're ready to leave your job so you, your emotions tell you that God must be leading you somewhere else. Good intentions. They're not always a sign from God. David had an emotional rush David in scripture had an emotional rush that was backed up with very, very good intentions. But God had different plans. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent and Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. And David was, was thinking, how can we leave the Ark of the Covenant in a tent when I live in a house? That seems like a very pure thought, doesn't it? He said, why should God dwell in a, in a worse place than me? Nathan even told him, he said, to follow your heart. These good intentions, they're a sign from God. However, God thought differently. In 1 Corinthians, or Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, it says, It seemed like a good thing to do, but God had to correct his heart's intention. In the same way that you wouldn't follow a deceitful friend, sometimes it may be your heart at work doing what is, it does best, which is um, 
deceiving. Listen, I encourage you to follow the leading of the Lord in your life. I don't, I don't want to send you down the wrong path here. Because I'm in awe when, when someone gives their life away to gospel-centered efforts, etc. However, my warning here is don't blindly follow a desperately wicked deceiver. Listen, Christians should never follow their hearts alone. That's when we start being okay with things that, that God's word speaks directly against. That's when we start being okay with, uh, 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 or, or I should say, that's how we, we, when we start going by how we feel, uh, that's all of a sudden where we, we're okay with divorce and we're okay with uh, affairs and we're okay with holding grudges and we're okay with uh, uh, using God's name in vain or lying. All that becomes okay. Because we're reacting on our feelings. When we just got, our, got by our hearts, you know what I mean? That's when we become okay with lingering, when we just go by our hearts with lingering sin because we feel okay about it. And that's when our feelings go numb. Numb to the broken world that we live in today, the culture that we live in today. Christians should always, always, always follow Christ. Follow Christ. And I want to tell you something. He will never deceive you. He'll never deceive you. But listen closely. When the heart becomes passionate, everybody kind of regroup their thoughts for a moment here. When the heart, because it sounded like I'm, I'm going against what the heart is, okay? And I just was warning you there. But I want to tell you something. When the heart becomes passionate about following Jesus, I'm going to tell you something. Jump in with both feet. No questions asked. Okay? That's your GPS to true life right there. That's being a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Do what I do. Do what I say. I love to see people like this. They, they don't have to read a self-help book to be better. They don't, they don't have to, 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 to develop these habits to be nice. Uh, uh, you, you don't have to develop good habits to care about your neighbor or, or to love your coworker. No. In fact, as a as a passionate disciple, you get sick to your stomach when you've not done everything you can for somebody else. When you see somebody that's hurting and you're not doing anything about it. When, when you're not being a disciple, when you're not talking to Jesus, when you're not uh, loving on, on other people. It kind of makes you sick. You don't, you, you don't have to make a list and put it on the fridge to remind you to think about others. I don't, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. I'm just saying you don't have to do that if it's in your heart. You know what God has done for you, and you know what God has done for your family and for your life, and you see so many people out there in the same situation. And as a disciple, your heart finally, finally marries with truth, with something God has created, in fact, commanded all of us to do, and it's just, it's just in you. It's just in in you. you. You can't wait for the day to begin so that you can go see how God's going to, what God's going to put into your place, what God, the, the encounter of the day. Amen. So I want to talk to you about being a disciple today. 
discipling is not, listen to me, it's not a compartment of life. It is life. To disciple is not a way to act. It's a way to be. In Jesus, in John chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, it says, The one who sent me stays with me. He doesn't abandon me. He sees how much joy I take in pleasing him. When he put it in these terms, listen, many people decided to believe. Look at the relationship here. He gave, uh, it gave Jesus, uh, the man, joy. It gave him joy in pleasing God, the Father. When people saw how Jesus did things with such joy just to please God, many people decided to believe. How many people are following you because of the joy that you are giving to your Father? Look at the impact there. It gave innocent incentive, I should say, to people who were watching him. It gave them insight into what it means to know God. It, it, it caused them to respond, to, to live a similar life of love and relationship with God. A, a life that, that takes joy in pleasing God. That's what I want. That's what I want. If you want to share the message, if you want to share the good news, if you want to be a disciple, take a real close look at Jesus. He found incredible joy in pleasing God the Father. Jesus' life means so much to us as his followers, doesn't it? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, You are God's children whom he loves, so try to be like him. uh, Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as the sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice to God. Two implications of Jesus' life as a disciple. The the first is simple. We try to be like him, all right? That's the pursuit of the Christian, isn't it? We try to be like Jesus. The second implication is that we offer ourselves as a sweet-smelling offering. As I look at this passage, I wonder how many or how I am actually smelling in God's nostrils. Do I stink? Probably me most of the time. And that's not because of my cologne, because everybody tells me they like my cologne. But we all sin. We all make mistakes. It doesn't mean, though, that we have to continue doing the same thing over and over again. That scripture said he gave himself, not pieces of himself. He gave himself. As I share a few points with you today about discipleship, I encourage you to to ask yourself, what piece of my life am I giving to God or am I all in? All right? I'm just going to cover a few things. As a disciple, you must sacrifice your plans for his. You can kind of do your own little math in your head, all right? In Matthew 26, 39, my father 
If it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, being God, knew what was coming. And Jesus, the man, prayed right before. He's about to go through this particular experience, the cross, right? And Jesus prays, is is there any other way? But if there's not, he says, it's not about my will and it's not about my plans. I want your plans, God. How do you react when you're at a crossroad? There's my will and there's my plans and there's God's will and his plans. Whose plans prevail when you hit that crossroad? The disciple says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. You see, it's a way of life. I want to do something a little bit different. I want you to take a minute. In fact, all of you just kind of close your eyes just for a minute. And I want you to think of someone who has really, and I mean really, um, sacrificed for you, for you personally. They've really influenced your life because of their sacrifice for you. If you just all close your eyes and think through that just for a moment. It's a little different. In fact, I want you to, as you think about that person, I want you to say that person in your mind to yourself. Now, you can open your eyes. I want you to think about this. What would your life be? What would it be like if that person would have decided to do it their own way? Went with the plan that convenienced them. Think about it for a moment. When a disciple, listen to me very closely, when a disciple doesn't sacrifice their plans for God's plans, the, under, the other end of that equation is people suffer. If Jesus hadn't squashed his fleshly desires and plans For God's plans, which was the cross, none of us that are here today or anywhere else would ever be forgiven for what we've done. And you all know what that means. In Matthew 16, 24 and 25, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever or whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. A disciple changes it from what do I want to what do you want. Having faith in God is so pleasing to him. I I play golf, and I, I use that very loosely for anybody who... Uh, hasn't seen me. If you've seen me, you already know that. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I try to play probably, maybe I play 15 times a year, something like that. So, um, but can you imagine me walking up to Dan to Tiger Woods in the middle of the Masters and say, hey, you know, Tiger, I, I, think, I think I might have saw a little flaw in that swing. 
<laughs> That's what he would have done right there. You know, I don't know, but from where I'm standing, Tiger, not looking good. Yet when I think about us as followers of Christ, sometimes comes over us like, like it did Lucifer, actually. And it invades our heart. And for some reason, we think that we know better than God. And we have the, the audacity to say, God, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think I got a better way of doing this. A disciple has this exciting desire in them, a faith, a faith to follow where God's leading. That's a disciple. A disciple says, you know what's best, God. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The next thing I just want to mention, a disciple, uh, as a disciple, we must trust God's opinion over man's. Matthew twenty two sixteen 16 says, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. I love that word, integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Jesus was or has this reputation of integrity here. He, he doesn't care who's around. He teaches, listen to me, he doesn't care who's around. He teaches the way of God. What does integrity mean? It means that you're undivided between what you believe and how you live in front of other people. Jesus had two choices there. He could have been swayed by men and caved under the pressure of his critics, or he could have been swayed by the way of God. Jesus lived for an audience of one, all right? That meant that he was free to have dinner with known sinners, that he um, was free to go against the culture of the day. As a disciple, doesn't it make sense that we should live in that same way. Yet we kind of freak out if we're kind of going against whatever the mainstream is, don't we sometimes? Not paying attention to Jesus, not paying attention to men's opinions, but by only concerned about God's opinion. To be loyal to Christ under pressure. Man. To be a brother or a sister to a person in need. To become God's messenger in the darkness. That's what living for an audience of one does. Now, that was his critics. What about Jesus' fans? There were, there were a lot of people who really liked Jesus. Look at the situation in John 2, 23 and 24. During the time when he was in Jerusalem, those days of the Passover feast, many people noticed the signs he was displaying. And seeing, they pointed straight to God and trusted their lives to him. You see, he had a lot of notoriety here. He's getting a lot of attention here, but... Uh, look at his response. But Jesus didn't entrust his life to them. He knew them inside and out. He knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help in seeing right through them, the Bible says. Even his fans, Jesus had no reason to trust the press that he was getting uh, and the publicity and the praise from his fans. He didn't fall into the insecurity trap that many of us do. Uh, and, and, and we shouldn't do that. We... we we can, listen, we can know 
and trust in the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful, mighty, and living God. Amen? So you don't need to trust in man's opinion, just trust in God's opinion. We don't need to become people-pleasers. And I mean that in the sense that we say it today in that, in that phrase. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Obviously, I'm not trying to be a people-pleaser, he says. No, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Look at Paul's point here. Listen very closely. You can be a people pleaser or you can be a God pleaser. But here's something you can't do. You can't blend the two of them. Either you're pleasing God in your choices and your character and your conduct or you're pleasing people. You can't blend the values of culture with the values of Jesus. As a disciple, you realize I, I don't have to play to people. I am, I am accepted, I'm loved, I'm secure in him, in him. When I've trusted in God, he has never once in my life ever failed me. When I've trusted in him, he's never once wronged me, he's never once led me astray. And as a disciple, you must understand your place. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, it says, In your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God. Don't you think if Jesus did that, we should be doing that? He, he was, listen though, what, what, what caused him, he was secure in his relationship. When you don't understand your place with God, you try to take his place. And you become God. You become your own master. You become uh, the boss of your life, so to speak. That's when we all get in trouble, isn't it? When we try to, to be God in our life, so to speak. You see, it's harder to serve. It's harder to be humble. It's harder to be obedient when you don't understand, when you don't clearly understand your place. As a disciple, let me tell you something. You're secure in who you are. And, and you can actually find joy in being a humble servant to others. That's why I love to see uh, Dan's attitude whenever the flood came. It was like, you know what? He could have been out with the other guys that, that were doing their thing, uh, the, the men's retreat. He could, in fact, he spent hours smoking meat for the other guys. They put food together for it, and all of a sudden this flood happens, and he goes, man, I, 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 I got to go help these people. I got to help these people. That's what we're talking about right there. Humble servant, helping others who are in need. That's amazing. That's neat. Very cool. As a disciple, listen to me, you're God's child, and there's nothing, nothing, nothing that he wouldn't do for his child. You're, you're, you're the king's kid. As a disciple, another thing that you must do is you must value knowing God above all. 
In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul says, All the things that I once thought were important, listen to this, all the things that I once thought were important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Goes on to say, dog, dung. I've, I've dumped it all in. Listen to me very closely, guys. What, do you, what Paul is saying. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Hmm. How many have dumped it in the trash? Or are you still carrying it with you? How do I know that I consider knowing God a high privilege? I'm going to tell you something right now. It's easy. Time. Time. How much time do you spend with God? Do you have a time with him? It's easy to get pretty busy in the world today and everything that's going on. Is God's word really all that important to you? God told Moses when he was leading the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt, he said, you must establish the tent of meeting and there I'll meet with you and there I'll speak with you. How many want God to speak to them? It was a place where God wanted Moses, listen, where wanted Moses to get to know him. Does that make sense? Where's your tent of meeting in your life? Is, is it the lounge chair in the living room? I'd say that's where Crystal's is. Every morning, seven to eight, she's spending time with the Lord in that lounge chair, reading scripture, studying scripture. That's her place. That's her time. Now, that's not the only time, but I'll tell you that. I'll tell you something. Once she does that, it's like throughout the day, it's like filtered in the rest of the day. It's like, you know, I was talking to the Lord today, and she starts going on. I'm like, babe, I got to work. I got to do this. And, like, you know, it's, it's something that's in her that because of that time that she spends with the Lord, she's wanting to share, and she's wanting to, you know, she's just only doing what the pastor told her to do, start with her loved one. Is it in your car on the way to work? Is it at Starbucks with a cup of coffee? Where is it? God is waiting. Listen to me. God is waiting to meet with you and speak with you. What a privilege. What a privilege. A disciple, a disciple values that time above all other things. Finally today, a disciple, as a disciple, you must have zeal for Jesus. When you really appreciate something <clears throat> that somebody has done for you, <laughs> some people are like, yeah, whatever. Somebody's going to give me something else. Somebody will give me something else. But, but most people are not like that. You know, uh, most people, the, the, it's, it's, it's not just a thank you back for most people. Someone truly grateful will be more motivated and they're going to take action on that person's behalf. You put, uh, you, you put some energy, you put some, some passion into your appreciation. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I don't know. Somebody 
felt like I, Crystal and I needed a little cash. And by the way, if anybody else feels that way, <laughs> Ryan, I heard that. Expect a thousand this week. Just teasing. But somebody, some, some wonderful couple, you know, God bless them. Just changed gears in their life and shifted gears and went a direction that kind of like was just for God, just like just threw their life into working for the Lord and had a wonderful, wonderful money-making machine, you know, that they, they had been working for years. Just made that decision. And they're thinking about me. I want you to know I'm so grateful for that. Because it's not about, it's not about me and it's not about the money. It really isn't for me, I'm saying. It's about the love and the thought and, and somebody's thinking about somebody else that needs something and they're, they're, they're stepping out of their comfort zone to do it. And that meant so much to me. And I guarantee you, God smiles when he sees acts like that. Guaranteed. Paul said in Romans, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Listen, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. As a disciple, it's not about ourselves. Guys, I'm all in for Jesus. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all that those who live should not live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You talk about the main event. As a disciple of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ changes everything about your life. His, his sacrifices on the cross, the spilling of his blood for you, his passion for you, is it intended to, listen, listen, it's intended to be matched with the equal passion from you. There's never been passion demonstrated for people like that ever in the history of mankind. Jesus' words, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life. For his friends. Shall we stand today? It's um, the final huddle with his guys. Jesus has gathered them around and he's getting ready to leave earth. And he's praying and he's saying this act of love that I'm going to do for you. It's the best thing I know to do in order to inspire you. Inspire us. What do you mean? Inspire us to take action. To go. And do what God has planned for you to do. 
when I leave and until I come back. And he hasn't come back yet. So that must mean we got to still be doing it. At Iwo Jima, the island in the heat of the World War II, one of the bloodiest battles, <coughs> the Marines that were pulled from the intense combat that was going on at the time, they were pulled away and, and allowed to leave combat for just a time. And they made the soldiers that were leaving march past all of the bodies of the slain. And in front of the bodies was a sign that said, as you go home, tell them for us. For your tomorrows, we gave our today. Why? Because when they went home, they wanted those Marines who were alive to, to be ambassadors for a sacrifice that was made and blood that was spilled, their blood, so they wouldn't squander what? Their freedom. But that it would create some kind of a sense of responsibility to honor that sacrifice. The innocent Jesus Christ, knowing all, knowing all of your sin, not just what you've already done, but what you're going to do. Suffered and sacrificed it all for you. I want to ask you today, are you honoring that with your life? As a disciple, remember it's something that we are and it's something that we do. It's what God intended for you to do from the very beginning. And when it's my time to meet the Lord, and who knows when that would be, I want to have done with all my heart everything with everything in me with everything in me I want to have done <laughs>